You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. On this Thursday, November 2nd, talking Twins baseball with our good friend at Rhett Bollinger, Twins reporter for MLB.com. Rhett, we thank you for the time. And uh, on this day one of the offseason, or maybe just between seasons, as these days is really not much of an offseason for us media folks. But anyway, uh, what we're going to do is look ahead to the Twins in uh, 2018, uh, coming off their playoff appearance, which caught everybody by surprise uh, this past season. We'll see uh, what prospects lay ahead for the Twins in 2018 and perhaps beyond. Rhett, though, I want to get your thoughts on uh, Game 7 to conclude an epic World Series between the Astros and the Dodgers. Uh, Houston winning their first world title in franchise history. If memory serves, uh, you went to the first two games in L.A. Did you have that privilege uh, last night going to Game 7 as well? I did, in Game 6 as well. Yeah, I took my okay. dad to the games as well. and So, yeah, it was pretty... Uh, Pretty amazing to be there and to see it. Uh, you know, obviously growing up in LA, uh, I, you know, my dad especially wishes it was a different uh, ending there. But it was certainly an incredible series. I wish Game Seven would have been a bit more memorable. It was a lot more about the you know guys left on base for the Dodgers than anything. Um, but still an incredible World Series, especially Games Two and, and, and Games Five. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a treat to be there and just a fun one to watch and to see these two teams uh, that have a lot of young players too and really aren't going anywhere. I think the Twins would love to be. Uh, kind of on that track is the same as the Astros and kind of go from a team that went from, you know, losing 100-plus games multiple years to, to kind of building a, a young core and then kind of going from there and kind of finding, you know, ways to find pitching. So kind of a similar situation. I've talked to Jason Castro about that, too, who was part of that Astro core and ended up obviously siding with the Twins. He's seen some similarities in kind of the way that the Astros built their team compared to the way the Twins have. So I think that's kind of a big hope is that that's kind of the way they can kind of emulate that success. Yeah, I mean, they've really laid down the blueprints on uh, how to build uh, through your farm system and uh, draft the right guys and build a not just a winner but a perennial contender. That seems to be the track that the Astros are on now as the champions of baseball. Red, as a guy who's, uh, you know, grew up in that area and from that area, how are, you know, I know every fan base reacts a little bit differently when you have a, a crushing loss like the Dodgers had last night in game seven of the world series, you know, much like the Indians had last year, uh, you know, against the Cubs, what is the feeling amongst, you know, Dodger fans? Is it, is it disappointment? There's obviously disappointment, but does it border more on devastation? Is it a feeling of, you know, how, how can we lose the series where we get four starts between Kershaw and Darvish? You know, what's kind of the consensus right now? I think disappointment is probably the best word. I don't think it's devastation completely, but it's definitely kind of look back and to see, you know, you, to see they had a big lead in game one and they're sorry, game two and to have, you know, they gave it up with Kenley Jansen, give up the home run in the ninth and then losing that game in extras and all the home runs, you know, and game five, to have that four run lead with Kershaw on the mound. It kind of went see slip away. And then even in the, in the clincher, you know, to leave, I think, well, with the 10 guys on base and go one for 13 with runners in scoring position. There's just a lot of, a lot of what ifs, I think, for Dodgers fans. And it's been so long, you know, since, you know, 1988. They even played in the World Series, so I think it was just a uh, disappointment in the fans from hearing the fans going, "Oh man, I know you have to wait till next year." And it's just, you know, obviously baseball, as you know, is such a long season, it's such a big commitment. Again, you're like, "Oh man, is this, you know, when's this going to happen again?" But I think that I think at the same time, there's still a lot of pride among the fans, just because this was such a fun team to watch, and I think just because um, they are a good team going forward. Fine, this is like kind of their one last chance where they have a better team, where this is kind of the one last hurrah. 
Uh, they have a lot of young players that are part of this core as well there in L.A. So I think they're excited that this could you know, be a team that can continually go on a run, but it's also been a lot of heartbreak. You know, I think they've ended up with the NLCS even five times in the last 10 years, and that's a show for it. So, uh, you know, even Andre Ethier, I think yesterday was his 51st career uh, playoff game for the Dodgers, which breaks the all-time record for the franchise, but yet, you know, no World Series titles. So I think that's kind of the, the big disappointment thing. It just never happened in so long, but at the same time, they have a good team. And so I think the fans, at the end, were definitely disappointed, but I think talking to some fans on the way out, Still a lot of pride for that team. And, you know, just to get that far is always exciting for fans. Yeah, no question. And somewhat fitting that uh, Ethier drives in the only run for the Dodgers in Game 7 uh, in a pinch yep. hit roll, no less, the longest tenured guy on the team. So that was fitting. But as you said, a disappointing end for the Dodgers. But, they're you know, they're going to have two straight rookies of the year. Bellinger's going to win it in a landslide, even though he, you know, disappeared in the World Series. And plenty of talent in that pipeline, plenty of talent on the big league roster. No reason to think that the Dodgers would not be back in 2018. And maybe, right, if the chips fall into place, it's the Twins they face in the Fall Classic <laughs> next year. You never know. So let's uh, break down the Twins, look ahead to 2018. Looking at the team right now, what would you say is their biggest area of need, and how do you think they go about addressing that need? You know, the trade market, free agent market, a guy in the minors, what do you think? I think definitely pitching is their biggest need for sure, whether it's starting pitching or relief pitching. Um, I think among starters, you know, you got a couple guys you can count on. We talked about before, Urban Santana for sure, Jose Barrios, you know, Kyle Gibson had a nice second half. Uh, you know, Adalberto Mejia has shown some signs as a rookie last year. But outside of that, you know, they're still, they still want to acquire some depth or at least somebody they can really count on. Because they do have some co- prospects coming up, guys like Steven Gonsalves, Fernando Romero, maybe even, you know, uh, Aaron Slikers had a decent year at AAA. They, they've got, you know, and Phil Hughes is coming off an injury, and so is Trevor May. So they've got some, some arms, but starting pitching-wise, I think they'd like to at least sign or trade for at least one legitimate starter who can be a number two or number three type starter with some upside. Uh, guys within their price range, I, I would think they might want to target a few guys like Lance Wynn or maybe Alex Cobb. Um, I can't imagine they're going to go after a, a frontline guy like, you know, a few Darvish is out there, that type of guy, or even Jake Arrieta. Um, and in the bullpen, you know, they got to figure out their closer situation right now because you know, they traded Brandy Kinsley who's a free agent now anyway. You know, Matt Belisle capably, but he's a free agent as well. You know, they've got some young options in their bullpen, but I don't know if they really want to turn any of them as closer quite yet. You got to figure they're going to go out there, and there's at least some you know veteran free agent relievers out there on the market they could sign for, or even trade for somebody as well. I think the big thing is with the reliever, they're going to want to find somebody with a high strikeout rate, just because they don't really have. That's kind of been their issue now for a while. They don't really have uh, you know the high velocity strikeout guys. But they do have you know a good farm system uh, of young relievers coming up through the system here. We still haven't seen much from you know Nick Birdie or Jakey Shagwa, Tyler J, Jake Reed. I mean, they, you know, we saw a little bit of Gabriel Moya who came up late. Um, so they do have some intriguing young arms in their system, but I just think that this front office just kind of sees uh, this team as something that can, you know, continue to contend if they can just find more consistent or more dependable kind of veteran arms uh, to kind of bring them over the top here. Because I think position player-wise, uh, they're, they're pretty much set if they want to be. I, I think there's a chance they could go after a right-handed bat there that can do some DHing and play some outfield or some first base. Um, but I think more than anything, it's on the pitching side. I think they're going to explore every avenue. They're going to look at trades. They're going to look at free agency. I think they have some money to spend if they want to try to sign a starting pitcher or some relief help. I don't think I said I don't think they're going to break the bank and sign anybody to you know a huge deal over 100 million dollars or anything. But I do think that they could sign kind of one of those mid-rotation type guys uh, to bolster this uh, rotation at this point. And Brett, you touched on the position player status of this team, and I got to think that uh, when you're looking at the the strength area of this team, it falls into that position player category. But where specifically amongst the position players do you feel that they are the strongest? I think it's up the middle, I think, makes the most sense just because 
you know, Byron Buxton right now is really developing into a star the way he's playing defensively in center field. Uh, he's incredible out there. He's the fastest player in baseball. We know, according to the StatCast metrics, uh, best defensive outfielder in baseball, according to the metrics as well. In the second half, you know, for him to hit over 300 with power and speed, um, he was their best player in the second half, you know. So he's definitely kind of the, the key to this team. But Brian Dozer, we know, at second base is a guy that, you know, has hit over 30 home runs for his two straight years, uh, is kind of the heart and soul of the team. Jorge Polanco had a big second half. Uh, he's kind of established himself at shortstop. And, and even Jason Castro, who's not exactly, you know, they know that they're going to get out of him offensively, but defensively he really was really big for a lot of those guys, uh, you know, helping them out, helping guys like Barrios, some of the younger guys, uh, you know, develop. And then just the game calling, the, the kind of the calming presence he has back there, he really did help too with his pitch framing. All those stats were kind of what they expected as well. So I think the strength is just kind of up the middle right now, which is always something you want uh, in your team. And they've got some, you know, prospects on the way. Uh, Nick Gordon's a, a big prospect. They like a lot of shortstops, so it's kind of interesting to see what they want to do with him and Polanco. Um, but, yeah, just that, that, just a young core. You know, we talked about it before, but, uh, you know, to have guys like Buxton and Sano and Rosario and Kepler, uh, you know, just they're all under 25 years old. So I think that's kind of the strength of it. You know, this, this team should continue to get better in terms of these younger guys, should take steps forward because there's a lot of things they can improve on. But at the same time, uh, you know, just, just having that up-the-middle strength it's something I think teams love to build. And I think having some of that minor league depth too behind it uh, is only going to help them because they could use some of that depth maybe to, to make trades uh, and get some more pitching in the system. Yeah, no question there. And, uh, Rhett, I want you to give me two guys. Uh, one guy that could regress a little bit in 2018 after maybe overperforming a little bit here in 2017. And then on the flip side, a guy that maybe struggled in 2017 and is a definite candidate to bounce back next year. A guy that could regress, you know, it could be a guy like Eduardo Escobar. He, he has had a great year as a backup, you know, and, and came in and really filled in capably uh, for Miguel Sano at third base. You know, started the last couple of months there with uh, Sano having a stress reaction, and Sano actually is going to undergo surgery now on November 13th uh, to have a, a titanium rod put into his his, uh, his shin uh, to kind of deal with that stress reaction. But he's supposed to be ready for spring training and all that. But I do think that Escobar, you know, hitting nearly 20 home runs, showing that kind of power. Maybe it's the start of something, but I think, if anything, he maybe he played a little over his head just because it's such a good offensive season. Um, but same thing, he's part of that middle infield depth again where it's nice to have a guy who can play shortstop at second base and third base and be a backup and have that kind of power. It's just it's going to be hard for him to replicate that. Um, as for a guy I think he was going to get better uh, is Max Kepler. I, I thought Kepler had a bigger year offensively than he did. Um, defensively, he's still really underrated in right field. He's one of the faster right fielders in the league. He gets good jumps, especially on balls coming in. He's great at kind of, especially how big he is too, just using his size to kind of run in and dive and make great plays on little, you know, soft liners, that kind of stuff. Still kind of learning on, on balls going back to the wall, but he's still a definitely a, a above average right fielder defensively and on the bases. It's just, I think, offensively, he's not a big strikeout guy. He just wasn't really hitting the ball with authority the way he did as a rookie. Um, so I think he can definitely take a step forward and improve his plate discipline uh, and continue to drive the ball a little bit better. Um, but, yeah, those are kind of the two guys I would think that might maybe take a step forward and a step back. Uh, but as we know with baseball, it's always hard to predict. You know, maybe Escobar ends up having another big year offensively, and maybe Kepler just becomes, a, a, you know, not as good of an offensive player as he thought he'd be. But you never know with baseball. But I do think just kind of looking at the trajectories, 
that'd be kind of the, the most sense. Yeah, it, it's it's so unpredictable. You know, maybe these guys buck the trend, but uh, the only thing we could do is, uh, you know, wait and see what, what 2018 will bring for both uh, Escobar and Kepler. Uh, that is for sure. And, uh, Rhett, to begin to wrap things up here, it seems like, you know, any team in baseball can fall into, you know, one of five categories. You've got your teams that are clearly rebuilding, your teams that are uh, just simply non-contenders, and then you get into more twins territory here with the teams contending for wild cards, teams contending for division crowns, and then teams ultimately contending to win the World Series. Of those latter three categories, which one do the twins best fit into? I still think at this point that probably more this going in 2018 still kind of competing for the wild card. Um, I think the Indians are still the best team in the, in the AL Central. Uh, there's so much pitching to them, and they're such a you know a good team. But they could lose some players. You know, Carlos Santana is a free agent. He's a big part of their offense. Um, so they could lose a little bit there, but uh, I still think they're probably at least this season probably more wild card contenders and strong wild card contenders. You know, just because last year was surprising, but I do think that that yeah, young core should get better. Uh, like I said, it's hard to always predict things, but and they got to figure too if they can improve this pitching staff, um, they'll be contenders. I don't think they're you know they're not quite two World Series contenders or anything like that yet, or, or you know, they're certainly not going to be the division favorites at all. You know, I think the Indians will be that at least for next year. We'll see how kind of 2019 goes. I think the Twins are on the right trajectory to, to become you know one of those teams that's a division contender or even a world series contender but i think at this point they are legitimate uh, wild card contenders um and kind of how they improve their pitching staff uh this offseason will kind of let us know uh, how serious they're going to be uh, in 2018 yeah as you said they are certainly trending in the right direction coming off a very surprising uh, playoff appearance in 2017 we'll see what the immediate future holds Rhett Bollinger great stuff as always we'll do it again next week as we thank you for the time in the meantime Matt Wehmeyer signing off for MLB.com Extras Minnesota Twins Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.